Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, and I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Song of Invitation will be 584 if you wanted to mark that. Parker told me 584. Is that correct? Okay. Well, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so good to uh, be here with you. It's so good to see everyone. Especially good to uh, see our brother Carl here with us this morning. Good to have him here uh, worshiping with us. And good to see everyone else as well. A beautiful morning to praise our God. We have, uh, because of Focal Point, get to see some friends of mine that I don't uh, normally get to see very often. And of course, uh, Parker and Amanda are here, and uh, they are here with us. Thankful for Parker leading singing for us this morning. Uh, Michael and uh, Lynn Height, who are uh, members and work with at uh, Bear Valley uh, Church of Christ, and uh, Michael's one of the instructors there. Of course, John and Carla are back in, and good to see them. And also, Wesley Walker is here with his daughter Presley. Wesley spoke as our keynote speaker a couple of years ago at Discipleship University. And uh, so we're very thankful that, that they are here. Um, feels like a little bit more pressure uh, this morning. Um, but no, we are, we are very thankful for uh, their presence. So good to have them uh, here with us this morning. I read a study the other day that said that the average person speaks 7,000 words a day. 7,000 words a day. And I thought, surely that must be wrong. It seems like quite a bit for some of us and uh, too few for others. In fact, I went on to read that women actually speak 13,000 more words on average than men. Now, don't, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> and, uh, I'm just telling you the facts, all right? And, uh, and this article went on to say, you know, when you look at the amount of words that uh, you speak in a day, there not, might need to be some reflection at the end of the day as to how we use those words. And so it gave three different questions to kind of ask yourself as to whether or not you use those words effectively. The first question was, did my words convey that I was a confident or competent communicator? Number two... Did my words make a positive impact on the people around me? Did it, did it give positive influence to those around me? And then, of course, number three, and the one that probably bites a little more than the other, but how many of my words today served little or no purpose at all? How many of those words served little or no purpose at all? But as I was reflecting on those questions, I thought, you know, there's a, there's a fourth question there that many Christians, if not all of us, need to be asking at the end of the day. And I think the question is this. How many of my words today were spent in prayer? 
how many of my words today were spent talking to my God and my Lord and my Savior and my Redeemer? How many of those words were actually set aside, were sanctified in communication with the divine? I think that's an important question for for us to sit back and to reflect upon and to ask. Because as Christians, we understand the, the intellectual benefits, the spiritual benefits, the emotional benefits even of living in prayer, of living a life of prayer. And, and we understand the, the importance of it and really the obligation to it. You, you see the passages like 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 where Paul says pray constantly or pray without ceasing. And so as Christians, there's this understanding that we need to be praying. And we need to be pray, praying quite a bit and we need to be praying quite frequently. That needs to be a part of our life. I think we all understand that. At the same time, at the same time, on the other hand, we also really struggle with prayer. We all really struggle at times, and we almost maybe even feel a little bit of guilt at times. I don't pray enough, or I don't really know how to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know if I should even be praying for this. So we really struggle with prayer. And you know what? That's okay. That's natural. And it's okay for us to admit that. I mean, the apostles themselves came to Jesus in Luke 11 and verse 1 and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And, and if the apostles have to come to Jesus and say that, then I think it's okay for us to come to him and say that. I, I think of the Colossians chapter 4 a lot when in verse 12, Paul tells the brethren there that Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Now, I, I like that passage because I, I just think it's very honest. It's very open because sometimes prayer is a struggle. Sometimes prayer is a struggle. And even God's greatest servants struggled in their prayers at times. And they, they, they worked and labored uh, in their prayers on behalf of other people. I think the vast majority of us, if we, if we were asked, we would like to have a better prayer life. We would like to have a better life of prayer. When I, when I say prayer life, I'm not saying that prayer is disassociated from your everyday life, but, but rather that there, you have a body of life where your life is lived under the shadow of and within the context of, of prayer. But here's the thing. What we mean by having a better prayer life is probably quite different from what Jesus means when he says we should have a better, better prayer life, or when we view what he says is better. In fact, in some ways, Jesus takes the pressure off of prayer. Because it doesn't, as he will say in Matthew chapter 6, and we've already seen this a little bit, but it doesn't mean that you use bigger words to sound smarter. That doesn't even necessarily mean that you say longer prayers. It doesn't mean or demand that you be smarter or that you speak well in order to be more devoted in prayer. So how should you pray? What, what, what does that look like to, to have a better life of prayer? To have better prayers? How can you commune and talk to God? In what way? Well, Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 6. And he says, in this way. In this manner. Pray. And so this morning we're kind of starting a little mini-series. We've been preaching through Matthew for quite a while. We're kind of starting a mini-series within that series through the Gospel of Matthew. And we're simply titling it, How to Talk to God. 
How to Talk to God. It's going to be a short series through the Lord's Prayer. I'm looking forward to this, and I hope that you are as well. I really am looking forward to studying this and, and going through it together with you. But as we begin, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and let's just read through the prayer, and starting in verse 8, actually, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 8. And Jesus says, do not be like them, that is the, the Gentiles, the pagans, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you have forgiven others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, as we were reading through that prayer, it was probably very familiar to you. Very familiar. Because, because you, you, you're, you're familiar with it if you grew up in the church. And even if you haven't grown up in the church, it, it's a very popular prayer. It's very well known within culture. But what exactly is Jesus teaching us about prayer and how we talk to God in this? He's obviously trying to teach us something. And he's trying to teach his disciples something when he says, this is how you should pray. Pray then like this is very instructive and it's very focused, it almost seems. Where it's almost even focused even more so for those who are really ardently wanting to know how to pray to God and how to talk to God. And the first thing we want to see this morning together when we're talking about how do we talk to God. You talk to God first, and this is our point for today, with reverent intimacy. You speak to God, you talk to God with reverent intimacy. I think first, though, we need to talk about this, and that is the prayer, you might not think of prayer in this way, but prayer is more of an invitation than an obligation. Prayer is, is, is more of an invitation than it is an obligation. I, I find it deeply interesting that before Jesus teaches us how to pray, he begins with this qualifier in verse 8. He's talking about the Gentiles and the pagans, how they keep all these vain phrases. And then he says in verse 8, listen, your father knows what you need before you even ask him for it. Now that is an incredible statement when you think about it. All of the people that are calling out to God and praying to God, he says, listen, even before you say, our Father, he knows what you need. Now, I just want you to think about that for a minute. That is an incredible statement about the wisdom and the, the, the intellect and the mind of God. But I also think it implies something else. And that is this. The prayer is about my need, not God's. God doesn't need me to pray to him. God doesn't need me to add anything to him. God is God. He is absolutely, indescribably perfect. And he's not sitting upstairs, wringing his hands, saying, man, if only Jacob would pray, I could do this. He's not, he doesn't need me to do that. Now, he delights in it. John 4 and verse 23, he's seeking worshipers to worship him genuinely. 
But when I pray to God, what Jesus says is I'm not informing God of something that he doesn't already know. I'm not adding to his intellect or his, to his knowledge of, of me. And God isn't obligating me to pray to him out of some desperation. So why then does it feel so much like an obligation at times? Why does, why does prayer feel that way like an obligation? Well, mainly because in some ways it is. Prayer is commanded. Prayer is expected. We read 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 to pray without ceasing. And there is, without a doubt, an obligatory aspect to this. God's commands are to be followed whether I feel like following them or not. So there are commands and obligations about prayer. At the same time, the language that Jesus uses here reminds us that prayer is more of an invitation to come to God in our need more so than an obligation. An invitation to converse with the divine. An invitation to, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, to cast our anxiety upon him. Why? Why? Because he cares for you. And those two truths are connected. God knows what you need. Why? Because he cares for you. And so he invites you in to, to speak to him and to cry out to him and call to him and to discuss with him those needs. And so prayer then is for our benefit, not for God's. Now, if God didn't want to listen to our prayers, he did, that wouldn't have to. It's only by God graciously inviting us in that we are allowed to converse with him. But we're easily distracted, right? I don't, if I said, who in here thinks that they pray enough? If I ask for a raise, I don't, I'm not even afraid of asking to raise your hand because I know none of you would say, raise your hand. How many think you pray enough or that you pray as often as you should or that you petition God as much as you should? So we get distracted. We don't pray as much as we should. And so God, like a good father, commands us to accept the invitation for our benefit. And as I come to him, God, and here's, the, here's the irony here. When I come to God in prayer, I don't even know all of my needs. But God does. And as I come to him and talk to him, and I, and I call out to him and I reflect to him and speak to him, some of those needs become more and more apparent. And God, like a good father, patiently waits to listen to those needs. So prayer is an invitation, not simply an obligation. But it's also an invitation to intimacy, to intimately come to know God. And, and that's what we, what we see here within this prayer, because Jesus says that we're to address God as our Father, our Father. And that language, that language speaks of a deeply personal and a deeply intimate connection. Now, Jesus previously mentioned how the pagans would heap up all kinds of phrases. In fact, during Jesus' day, there were a vast majority of deities, and they would call out different names in hopes that it would stick, right, in hopes that they would hit the right one. So they would say all these different names, hoping that they would pray to the right one. And Jesus' Jesus's prayer is simply, no, don't, don't, don't use all that, our Father. You're praying to your Father. Now, that level of intimacy, it extends even further 
when we realize that, that that term, our Father, is a term of endearment. For example, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, Paul there says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He says something similar in Galatians 4 and verse 6. He says, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into, your heart, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now what's this term Abba here? What does that mean? Why is he using that? The term Abba was the term that was used in Hebrew and Aramaic communities, and still is to this day actually, by little children in reference to their father. When dad would come in from work, the children would see him, Abba, Papa, Father, Dad. Now I say all of that because I imagine that the vast majority of us are probably deeply uncomfortable with that. We probably don't feel that that type of intimacy, yes we can be close to God, but that type of intimacy almost feels blasphemous. To call God Papa, to call him Abba, I'm not saying that people should get up here and, and uh, pray to their daddy or anything like that. But, but, but there is an understanding here that Jesus is saying that that is the type of relationship that you have with God as his child. That he is your Abba and our prayers are to be offered and to be given within that context and within that frame of reference, and within that relationship. In fact, if you look at, you know, there's a hesitancy to think that, and to use that terminology, I'm not sure why, because whenever you look in Scripture, and you look at Abba's, you look at Papa's, you look at Dad's from the perspective of Scripture, who is this character known as Father? He's someone who is wise, he is someone who is respected, he is someone who is reverenced, and yet he is someone who is warm and gentle. This is the father that we speak to. And it shows the type of relationship that I have when I come to talk to God. I'm coming to talk to him as my Abba. Who, by the way, notice the connection here. My Abba knows my needs before I even talk to him. When my children come and talk to me about something that's concerning them or or, or, or hurting them, a lot of times I know what they need before they even know what they need. And that's our Father. And that's why John would say in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, Beloved, what type of love? This is, this is why John stands in awe of this. He said, what type of love, what kind of love has been given to us by God that we should be called children of God? John's like, this is blowing my mind. How can we be called children of God? What manner of love, he says. And I want to say this to you because I think sometimes there's confusion. This is a special relationship that only Christians have with God. This, this type of father, Abba relationship, this is not something that the rest of the world has. The, all people are not children of God. Okay? That is not biblical. Only Christians are children of God. Only 
Only Christians have that special relationship with him. And I think that we need to remember that. Because there are, God loves the world, but he has a special love for his children. I love all children. And that I will, I will sacrifice for them, I'll protect them, I'll do many things for them. But I don't love all children like I love my children. And so there is a special covenant relationship with God that we have because of Jesus. Think about this. The reason that we're able to pray our Father is not based upon my own merit. It's not based upon my own goodness. It's not based upon my own righteousness. It's I am a son because of the son. I am a son because of the son. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 5. Whenever he says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. I'm adopted, you're adopted into the family of God because of what Jesus did for us and because of who he was and because of who he is. So whenever I talk to God in prayer, I need to remember that I am being invited to speak with my father, with my Abba, this deeply intimate relationship and to remember that this is one of the primary basis for my relationship with him. Prayer should not be a distant and cold request. It should be an intimate, warm, personal, and genuine thing. My kids might talk to other men, but they come to me. They come to me with their fears and their struggles, and they care most about my affection and my praise. And this too, our Father longs for us to benefit from his care and from his presence. And so it's deeply intimate. So it's, a, it's, it's an invitation to intimacy, but it's also a communal invitation to intimacy. It is, it is within the context, not only personally, but commun- communally. Because Jesus says you're to pray, our Father. Our Father. That is, prayer, of course, is a private experience in, in many ways, but it is also a shared one. We share this God. We share this Father. Uh, my children might have one-on-one time with me, but they can't, as sometimes you know, Lincoln tries to proclaim to the other two, my daddy, you know. <laughs> he, he can't exclu- exclusively say that. There's a shared bond there and a shared relationship and a shared ownership, if you will. We make a communal claim on God together. Faith isn't privatized. It's a family activity in which we collectively come before the Father as his redeemed people to call out to him. And this, by the way, I think is why it's a good practice, and I'm going to challenge you for it at the end of the sermon. This, by the way, is why I think it's a good practice for the entire congregation to say amen at the end of a prayer. You know, you, you, you see this throughout Scripture. Whenever God's people come together, the law is read or a prayer is given or praise is offered, all of the people say amen. Men, women, children, say amen. Now, I don't know why we're not in the habit of doing that here, but I'd like to see us get more in the habit of it because whenever someone is up here praying, it's not just them praying. It's you praying with them and along with them. They're leading us in prayer. So we should be communally saying amen as God's people. I think we should be audibly saying it as God's people to know that we are together participating within this, that we're praying and sharing in this. And so it's a communal intimacy that we have. But it also reminds me of this. It also reminds me of this. In my prayer and in your prayer, 
we have a spiritual responsibility to each other. I, you should expect for me to pray for you. And I should expect you to pray for me. James says in James 5 and verse 16, Confess your faults one to another and what? pray for one another. This, this language of our Father reminds me that this isn't just about me talking to God about my needs and what Jacob wants and what Jacob needs. This is also reminding me that even in my private prayers, as I come to God, that there is a community that I'm thinking about, that there's a people I'm thinking about that are expecting me to pray for them. And I can't tell you how much that means when you're going through tough times and when you're going through difficult times and when you're going through agony to know that other people are praying for you. We've been blessed by that in so many ways over the past few months. This communal intimacy that Jesus instructs us about and invites us to. So it's a communal intimacy that we are invited to, but we can't forget this. It is to be done reverently. It is to be done reverently. No doubt, prayer is an intimate, personal communication with Abba, our Father, but it is never irreverent. It is never irreverent. Notice, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed. The, the, the first idea of God being in heaven speaks to his transcendence. The second idea of his name being hallowed speaks to his holiness. God is both holy and he is transcendent. He is intimate, he is imminent, he is close, but he also transcends. But he is holy as well. When we pray for God's name, for our Father's name to be hallowed, we remind ourselves that his name alone is special. That his character and his purposes and his will, as we'll talk about later, alone are to be prioritized. That, that in my prayer life, everything that I'm doing, notice it's at the beginning of the prayer. Everything that I'm going to pray about is now qualified by this. Everything that I'm about to petition God for, everything that I desire is put under the umbrella of, God, I want your name to be magnified and to be seen as special and to be seen as holy in my life. And God, and this is what leads to later, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, this is what leads to later him praying, not my will, but yours. What this leads to is it's saying, listen, God, if you giving me something, if you blessing me with something, if doing something, opening a door, whatever it is, if it is going to lead to me unhallowing your name and not viewing your name as special, God, I don't want it. Because I want your name to be hallowed. I want your name to be made holy. And this is why Jesus condemns the self-glorifying prayers of the Pharisees within this context. Because they're concerned about their own name. They're not concerned about the name of the Father. And this informs our relationship with God. It is intimate, it is special, but it is always reverent and it is always filled with awe. You see this, by the way, in the best, uh, best uh, father-child relationships. You see this in relationships where there's a strong relationship with a father and a child. And they have this intimate relationship. They have this connection. But there's also a respect that the child gives to the father and a reverence. And they know when they cross the line. They know when they've gone beyond what is appropriate. They know when they've gone beyond what that relationship entails. 
God is deeply concerned with the reverencing and the glorifying of his name. And as his people, that is our greatest priority as well. And this is what we see throughout, for example, whenever Nadab and Abihu are killed. And God comes to Aaron through Moses. And he says in Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 3, Among those who draw near to me, I will be sanctified. And I will be glorified. So if you want to draw near to God, amen, absolutely. Draw close to the Father. Draw close to your Abba. Do it with confidence, but never do it casually. Don't treat it as if you're just talking to another human. You're talking to the cosmic creator of the universe. He is your Father, but He is also your King. And this is what He means when He says, Our Father who is in heaven... He reminds us that God is transcendent, that even though God is imminent, that he is close, that we can have a relationship with him, that we can know him, that he can know us, he is still far above. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 57 and verse 15, he dwells in eternity. He inhabits eternity. He is far above anything that we can even hope to comprehend, to its fullness, that is. God in his uh, 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 majesty, and his greatness is, is, even though you come to learn one thing about him, he becomes even more co- incomprehensible because you understand his magnanimity and his awesomeness and his greatness. And, and, and so this is important for us to know because the human heart longs for connection with the divine. We long for that intuitively. We long for that. We long for that connection. But we also hunger for the holy. We long to stand in awe of something. We want our imaginations to be captured by a mystery. We want to stand in awe of something greater than ourselves, something that we can't even possibly fully and completely comprehend. And within God our Father, we see this grand mystery in which he reveals himself to us, and yet he is still shrouded in some ways, the one who alone is wise and beyond the full weight of our interrogation. This is our Father who is in heaven. And so when I talk to God, I must understand by faith who I am addressing. My Father? Yes. But our Father, the King, the Creator of the cosmos, the Eternal Judge. And so as the psalmist says in Psalm 2 and verse 11, we rejoice, but we rejoice with trembling. That such an opportunity has been given to us to speak with such a God as this. This invitation to communally be intimate with the rev- and reverence with our Father and with our King. Now, as we think about this, if you speak to, we're talking about relationship, fellowship, intimacy, if you speak with any relationship expert, they're going to tell you that communication is key. That if you want to have a good relationship with your spouse, if you want to have a good relationship with your friends, with your, your family, you have to have open communication. And if you don't have that type of open communication, nothing else in the relationship is going to work. The the, the physical relationship, whatever it is, nothing else is going to work. So let's ask this. How is your communication with the Father? How's that going? Are you on speaking terms with God? Because listen, if if your prayer life is off, if you're not focused on that, if if you don't prioritize that, Everything else in your walk with Christ is going to be off. 
There has to be constant, consistent communication that comes from a foundation of reverent intimacy. And within this, as within this prayer, and within prayer in and of itself, we really see the gospel, don't we? Because within prayer, we see this God who wants to invite us into a relationship with him, who wants us to be reconciled to him, who wants us to come to him. And that's what the gospel is all about, us coming into God's presence through the work of Jesus Christ. And because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and in the resurrection, because of the gospel, I can claim God as my father, as our father, and I can have this intimate connection with him. And that is what prayer is all about. That's what our heart longs for as his people. So what we're going to do now, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. We're going to end in a word of prayer. And because we're praying to our Father, and Jacob isn't just praying to his Father, I want all of us to say amen at the end of the prayer, men, women, children. I don't want to do anything. If you feel like this will violate your conscience, completely fine. You don't have to. Um, but I would encourage you to in this way. So let's pray together. Our God, Abba, our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, we come to you so thankful that we can reach out to you as our God and as our creator and as our king, that we can speak to you, that we can do so with humility confidence, but also trembling, Father, knowing who you are, what you have done, what you can do, what you will do. And so we want to draw near to you, but we want to also reverence you. And we pray, Father, that as we move forward as your people, that we will live within a life of prayer and that we will come to know you more intimately and more fully as your people. We pray, Father, that your name will be magnified and glorified all that we do from this moment forward and forevermore. For apart from you, we are nothing. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And the church says, amen. If you would please be standing as we sing.